This is UCD Business Impact, a new podcast series from the UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. And each week, we'll be joined by world-renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders, to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and the world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist and lecturer at UCD College of Business. Today's podcast is a modest milestone. We are at our 20th episode of the Business Impact Podcast. The first case of COVID-19, you might recall, was way back in late February. And here we are half a year later and zooming away with our 20th guest. It feels like an age away when we did our first one of these, which was with Professor Neve Brennan back in mid-April. And I was the naive one. I never thought um, we'd still be zooming at this point and talking about this virus and its effects on lives and livelihoods, but it's still here and it's really eluded everyone's predictions about how long it would stay on and the kind of uh, havoc it has wreaked across the economy and across society generally. But things are opening up, including here at UCD College of Business, including Smurfit, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about that in a second with our guest, but I want to read a a little quote, an extraordinary quote that was uh, issued by Mike, Dr. Mike Ryan of the WHO um, a few months ago when he described what is the best and most optimum response to this pandemic, and he said, Perfection is the enemy of the good when it comes to emergency management. Speed trumps perfection, and the problem in society we have at the moment is everyone is afraid of making a mistake. Everyone is afraid of the consequence of error. Now, the reason I read that out today, and it is an amazing quote, is today's guest is going to talk to us about that whole idea of crisis management, leadership, and what happens when healthcare and leadership come together and intersect. And can we solve a lot of the healthcare problems that are afflicting us by looking at some of the solutions that come from the world of leadership and management and so on. So my guest is Professor Geraldine Doyle. She is Professor of Accounting and Taxation. She's also the Director of the Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School and Associate Dean of the UCD College of Business. Geraldine has an amazing research record across a whole range of healthcare areas. She works looking to try to do societal levels of impact in her research that influences both national and international policy with a special emphasis on taxation and health. Yes, those areas do go together and she's very much involved in putting the patient at the center of the healthcare experience. And we'll be talking to her about healthcare specifically in a few minutes. But first of all, very welcome to Business Impact, Geraldine. Thank you, Amos. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And I really, it's been an amazing few months. All our lives have been thrown into the air and (laughs) we haven't really landed yet. Everything is still very much uncertain. But things are opening up. Students are coming back to campus here at UCD. What has it been like for you getting the team together and and putting a business school program together, bringing in students and getting back to some level of normality? Yes, um, one of my colleagues recently uh, described our experience over the last number of months as a roller coaster ride, and uh, it certainly uh, has been that. Um, a few months ago, back in um, the early part of the year and back in March, we wouldn't have imagined, um, I suppose, the speed at which the virus would have impacted both directly and indirectly on our health, our quality of life, and indeed um, our daily lives. And no um, more so, I suppose, than the lives of our students. And in that regard, I suppose um, our key challenge, Emmett, has been how we navigate 
that conflict between community health and the learning needs of our students. So I suppose the, the first thing that was really important was to ensure back in March when our students couldn't return on campus after the spring break was to ensure that we could continue their learning and their learning journey. So in that regard, it was really important. Communication became extraordinarily important. Communicating with our current students to reassure them that we were going to ensure that their learning would continue. Also to reassure um, incoming students. So obviously at that time of the year we were also planning for our new students. So communication became really important um, during the pandemic in reassuring our students that their learning would continue. And, and this involved faculty putting extraordinary amounts of effort into learning new technologies and preparation time. So, you know, many faculty would say that the time that they spent in preparing their delivery online was four or five times longer than they would ordinarily have spent. And um, so that was quite extraordinary in terms of the learning that was involved, not only from the students' perspective, but also from faculty and from staff in, in coming to terms with that huge leap from face-to-face -face teaching uh, to online delivery. I suppose another um, feature of the whole experience over the last few months has been the incredible teamwork that we've seen here at the UCD Smurfit School across all of our teams, our admissions teams, our program office. Uh, they're the staff who look after our students on a day-to-day -day basis, our marketing team, our careers team. Um, and as well as that, our students have been very anxious, I suppose, about uh, their careers and what will be the career opportunities um, once they graduate as of the as of this month. So the careers team also being really important. Um, and I suppose this is something that comes out in the literature also on leadership during a time of crisis is that teamwork and a culture of teaming is so important where you're bringing experts, various different experts together and bringing their expertise in order to solve very challenging problems. And I think um, one of the big debates that's been raging on the airwaves, at least, is, is the value of education and the cost of it. Uh, I know we have a new Minister for Higher Education in Simon Harris, which was a really big innovation in, for government here in Ireland to have such a minister. I mean, do, does the recent weeks and months, the sort of work you've been doing, you've been talking about how much certain academics have had to really <laughs> change their whole working modus operandi. I mean, does it really kind of put a, a focus on the value, the cost, that whole subject and debate of education, whether it be at first level, second level, or what we're talking about today, third level. Yes, indeed. And um, Minister Harris did mention it during the week um, in another interview where he talked about, you know, how the cost of education um, has risen over the last number of months and, and, and will for the foreseeable future. Why? I suppose, number one, we have technology. We have a lot more technology. So we've had to ensure that all our classrooms have a lecture capture facility as much as possible so that if students are ill or if they have a loved one at home who is in a high risk category of contracting the virus and um, that they might not be able to come on campus so therefore they have to be able to live stream and have access to their education. So a huge increase in cost of technology. We also have that increased preparation time from faculty as I also mentioned we've got smaller classes so therefore we have to have smaller classes and therefore a larger number of offerings um, of those classes and um, so all of that brings together um, additional costs to the sector um, and in that regard the, the government 
government have issued a, a, a paper around the financial implications of the virus on the university sector um, and speaks precisely to that um, in terms of in the recent years we've had an increased reliance on non-exchequer funding and the pandemic has placed a significant portion of this income, uh, non-exchequer income at risk. Um, and the estimate from government is that there's a projected loss across the university sector in Ireland for the current year, 2020-21, um, of 348 million. And that approximately 46% of that will be due to um, a reduction in international students and another 40% of that then a reduction in commercial revenues that universities would otherwise earn, for example, at the um, students using um, gym, uh, accommodation, um, etc. So, so yes, there's a huge additional cost from all angles. And do you think, Geraldine, that that gap will have to be made up in time? Or do you, do you think the sector is, is, I suppose it depends how long the virus lasts, though, that there is a, a big unknown there. But do you think the, the sector will have to look at alternative revenue sources or reorientate itself a little bit back towards the domestic student body? Yes, indeed. And government have proposed a number of um, ways in which they can support the sector uh, precisely to, to your point, Emmett, in terms of encouraging, um, for example, uh, this stimulus package um, that the government are going to encourage um, grants for students who want to engage in further education, whether that be postgraduate or um, modular deliveries of, um, of education. So yes, indeed, it seems that government are really going to support the sector, which is very welcome um, from our new minister. Now, Geraldine, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today was you're, you're one of those rare people, there are a few of them, but they're a small enough band, is people doing research at the intersection between, you know, traditional kind of um, business school disciplines, management, leadership, and so on, accountancy, tax, and you, you have fingers in a number of those pies, so we'll get into that. But it's the intersection between all those disciplines and the healthcare area, and we, we sometimes think they're hermetically sealed off from each other, but so much of it now is interspersed and connected, particularly, as you mentioned, technology. So you're involved in a whole range of healthcare research projects, a lot of them with European dimensions. We won't get into them all because we just don't have enough time, but let's try and tease out some of them because they are fascinating in the context of the pandemic we're dealing with. And I think your main thread in all of this is we don't put the patient maybe enough, um, whether accidentally or on purpose, at the heart of the healthcare experience. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, yeah, so this is something I suppose that has always fascinated me um, being a pharmacologist, but also a chartered accountant. Um, when I began to research the whole area and that nexus of um, business and healthcare is this perception that there's always a battle that takes place between the mission of healthcare, um, which is to cure patients, patient safety, and to save lives, and the margin um, in terms of managing scarce resources and and you know, earning a surplus within a healthcare organisation. So this battle between mission and margin um, is something that has always intrigued me. And really, I suppose what is important is that everybody in the healthcare sector is striving to achieve the very same thing. So there is actually goal alignment between what medics want and what management want. And that is uh, patient safety, saving lives and, and curing patients. Um, and in this regard, there's been a growing body of literature in 
in recent years surrounding the notion of collaboration and um, that really where you have collaboration and a strong uh, authentic collaboration taking place between medics and management that that's where you can really achieve value for patients and when we talk about value for patients this is something that is, is one of the strands of my research um, is looking at value-based healthcare delivery and what this is all about is putting the patient back at the centre of management of healthcare um, so that the focus is on well what are the health outcomes that we are achieving for our patients and we know that you know, our healthcare providers, you know, do amazing work. Um, we've heard lots of stories from patients um, who have survived the current pandemic and who have survived the virus, who really talk about the amazing work. And we've talked a lot, particularly in the early days of COVID, about our healthcare professionals being our heroes. And they really are putting the, the patient at, at the centre. Uh, and today I saw that we have um, our healthcare professionals are doing a, a cycle, uh, the ICU reuse cycle, uh, which is a two-day cycle from, from Cork to Dublin. Uh, and this is where our healthcare professionals, they too are also trying to bring the focus back to the patient. Um, and one of the things that perhaps we've not been very good at doing within our healthcare system is actually documenting the health outcomes of our patients. You know, we're very good at documenting the process and documenting what we spend, um, but perhaps we've not been so good at documenting what exactly are the health outcomes that we have achieved for our patients um, and presenting that evidence in terms of the enormous value that our healthcare system and our service does provide. And, and is, that Gerard, is that, Geraldine, is, is part of that because we, we sort of tend to look very black and white at these things, somebody either survived or they didn't. Um, you know, you can see that in the press conference every evening where we, we, we list out the number of deaths, cases and so on. Um, obviously, people like the CSO, I, I presume, could collect some of the statistics, but is it that we don't have it accessible or enough of it or we don't break it down into the kind of detail that, that makes the case as strongly as possible? Yes, it, precisely to your latter point. We really don't document it um, and also document what are the health outcomes that are important to patients. So while we might be good at documenting the clinical and survival health outcomes, as you say, who survives and who doesn't, perhaps we're not good at documenting what are the day-to-day -day health outcomes that are important to patients? So, for example, if somebody is recovering from, let's say, a knee operation, how long is it before they can bend down and tie their shoelaces? How long does it take for them to go back to you know, their, their daily jog or, or go swimming or, or engage in their sporting activities? So there's an, or an international organization called the International Consortium of Health Outcome Measures. And this organization is a not-for-profit organization it's a collaboration between the Karolinska Institute, Harvard Business School, and also uh, Boston Consulting. And their mission is to create standards for the, I suppose, the most prominent illnesses uh, that we see in society surrounding what are the standards that we should be expecting and we should be striving to achieve in terms of the patient reported outcomes? What is important to the patient on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of improving their quality of life? So it's kind of getting down to more of a granular level of detail to understand what is important to the patient in their day-to-day -day lived experience. It is the, the history of it. We, we probably concentrate a little bit too much on documenting it from the providers, you know, the doctors and the healthcare system and less from the, the recipients. Is that where that kind of came from, in your opinion? Yes, exactly. It's looking at the healthcare from a system perspective as opposed to from the patient perspective. 
Now, one of the other areas you, you've looked into and you've done a lot of research with colleagues is on the whole area of health literacy. Um, we're all, <laughs> we've all, our literacy has taken a huge leap forward uh, since February with this particular virus, but we had big challenges there. Can you talk to me about this whole concept of health literacy and why it's so important? Yes, health literacy um, is, is another area that I'm, I'm very passionate about and I have done a lot of research on um, at a national and a European level. So we had the very first study of health literacy in Europe um, that took place in 2011, where we collected um, a first set of data at population level in terms of understanding what is the level of health literacy within our pet population. And what we mean by health literacy is the ability of an individual, a citizen, and a patient to understand how to access our healthcare system, the best way and the most efficient way to access our healthcare system, and most importantly, to understand what their doctor or nurse or their healthcare provider tells them about their health, how to manage their health, how to take their medication, etc. So it encompasses understanding health information and also having an understanding as to how best to access health information. And what we see is that there um, are you know, huge inequities uh, within society in that those in the lower socioeconomic groups uh, with lower levels of education often have lower levels of health literacy and therefore have um, a higher severity of disease, they might attend their general practitioner more frequently. They might also attend at the hospital level through accident and emergency more frequently. So they're using the healthcare system in an inefficient way um, because they don't have that good understanding as to how to access the healthcare system and how to understand what what their doctor uh, tells them. To, to manage their own health. And this leads then to unequal, I suppose, or um, a lack of equity in terms of access to healthcare. And now, do, we know, do we know how to, to short circuit that? Is, is it back to the schools, you know, get in with younger people and, and make it part of the curriculum? Or is it something we do, we need to do better at adulthood or any thoughts on that? Yeah, so one of the things we found in this European study that um, in general across Europe, we found that 50% um, of the population um, and we surveyed um, individuals from age 50 to age 70. Um, and this particular study, we found that um, across Europe, uh, that 50% of the population have a limited level of health literacy. And that's an extraordinary statistic when you think about 50% of the population may not be taking their medication properly, might not actually understand what their doctor or healthcare provider is telling them. They don't know how to access the health service. Um, and this then results in a greater burden in terms of an economic burden um, on our healthcare system. So what we did was we presented the results for Ireland. So um, in Ireland, um, we were actually actually uh, quite, uh, we were better than some other European countries um, in that we found within Ireland, 40% of the population had limited levels of health literacy. So we presented that data to the Department of Health uh, and the Department of Health then in our current strategy, um, our health strategy, uh, set health literacy as a priority. So we achieved uh, two action points that were included surrounding setting health literacy as a priority within our current health strategy. And that has now led to a second set of data. So I'm currently collaborating with colleagues in the Department of Health um, and 
for our first study, we had eight countries included um, in the study. We now have more than 20 countries. So the concept of health literacy has really grown over the last nine or 10 years. And we're now collecting a second set of data and we'll be able to do a comparative analysis to see, well, how were we back in 2010, 2011? And have we actually done anything to improve the health literacy of our population? So we're currently in the middle of collecting that data at the moment in collaboration with the Department of Health and then we will be able to compare with those other 20 or more countries uh, across Europe as well. It'll be interesting to see, does, does uh, misinformation uh, kind of stymie any progress we're making on health literacy with social media? <laughs> I don't have to tell you, Geraldine, Geraldine how difficult that is, um, where these messages are going out that are totally inaccurate. So it'll be interesting to see, does health literacy, is it eroded or damaged in some way by all the stuff coming at people from various social media platforms. Yes, this is true in terms of how we can um, decipher and determine whether sources that we see online are reliable or not. Um, so this is something also that there have been um, some studies done at a European level um, in order to understand what can be done to improve the ordinary citizens' understanding in terms of how reliable the information is that they have access to. Now, finally, I want to talk a little bit about the technology. Every one of us, well, not everyone, but a large portion of the population have uploaded the COVID app. It's actually on my phone and I check in every morning to say I have no symptoms. Sometimes I wonder, is it doing any good by doing that? But it is part of the package. So I feel happy to contribute. You're offered to, I know that you want to get students involved in it as well at the campus at UCD and so on. Um, is that a form of telemedicine? And how important do you think that will be that we've kind of, for the first time ever, you know, large swathes of the population are engaging directly with the healthcare system on their phones. Do you think that could be something of a turning point? Absolutely, um, Emmett. In terms of, I suppose, not only in the healthcare sector, but also in the education sector, we've all had to pivot very quickly uh, to using technology where we might not have previously used it. So this is something, I suppose, that we have been um, maybe a little bit slow uh, to accept, both from the healthcare pro healthcare professional perspective and also as patients as well um, in terms of using telemedicine and the willingness to, to engage in that. And actually recently I saw um, a, a study that was done in the Netherlands which um, has talked about the, I suppose, the huge pressure that COVID-19 has put on our healthcare systems around the world and a case where tele-monitoring um, um, has been used as um, an opportunity to care carefully monitor patients who have been confirmed or suspected case of COVID from their home and allowing for um, a timely identification of worsening of symptoms and therefore uh, that those patients then by being um, monitored um, remotely will result in a reduction in the number of hospital visits and, and hospital admissions and thereby reducing that pressure on those scarce resources um, in, in the hospital setting. And also with the knock-on effect, hopefully also of, of minimising the risk of, of viral transmission. So, so this was a study that was recently published um, that came from the Netherlands um, in terms of monitoring the vital parameters of patients and combined with video uh, consultations or virtual consultations with healthcare professionals. One of the fascinating things I think to, to look out for, we had a, a guest on earlier in this series from Hong Kong where, you know, the penetration of technology into medicine and other walks of life is obviously much more widespread. We are more resistant in Europe to the idea of handing over data 
to you know both commercial companies but also the healthcare system itself that there is a great sensitivity there do you think that's going to be a, a big battlefront in this whole area of telemedicine is the, the control and supervision of healthcare and medical data Yes, this has been uh, quite a debate in recent years in terms of, um, you know, who owns the data uh, and the ownership of that data and therefore the rights of individuals in terms of their own healthcare data. So I suppose um, the GDPR has been something that um, every organisation has been grappling with um, in recent years. But I think it's interesting um, in light of uh, the pandemic uh, to see the um, number of people who um, have signed up to the COVID app and and, and, and the use of that within society. So that might be a signal that maybe we are becoming more willing to um, engage in using technology um, and sharing of our, of our health data. Um, certainly is something that we're going to be asking our students next week when they come on campus uh, to sign up to the, uh, to the COVID app. Now, Geraldine, you've been watching some of our, our, our medical leaders, our political leaders, and as far as I suppose they're, they're beamed into our, our, our living rooms every evening and we can, we can judge and, and form some impressions about how the whole COVID pandemic is being managed. What are your sort of general impressions of, of leadership and how we've been managing this crisis here in Ireland? In Ireland, I, I think yes. we're widely regarded as, you know, having responded very well to the pandemic um, because we have had exemplary leadership in, in many sectors, particularly obviously in the healthcare sector and um, also across government, business, you know, and, and education as well. So I think our, our reputation when we compare with, with other countries um, is that we have, we have performed very well from that leadership perspective. Leadership, um, Emmet, is, is really all about people and it, particularly so at a time of crisis, uh, such as um, during the current pandemic, and bringing people together um, from different expertise and different backgrounds uh, to help us to solve the major challenges and major problems that we've been experiencing uh, during the pandemic um, is particularly important. And within that, in bringing people together, creating a culture of teaming and creating a culture of collaboration is, is really critical. And in fact, um, we should be reflecting on this very theme of leadership and bringing different experts together at a conference that we're going to be hosting here at the UCD Smurfit School on Saturday week, that Saturday, the 19th of September. Tell us a little bit more. What, what, what are you, it's certainly at an appropriate time, but what, what kind of things are we going to hear at the conference? Sure. Well, absolutely. A little bit of background to the conference is that last February um, at the UCD Smurfit School here, we launched a new leadership network, um, which we have labelled the UCD Leadership in Healthcare Network. And it is in uh, collaboration with some of our alumni from our executive MBA programme, in particular, Dr. Knut Moe, who's a GP, and Sinead Ryan, who's a pharmacist. So um, this conference on Saturday week is going to be our inaugural conference of our network and is the first of its kind in Ireland. So um, it is a collaboration um, between the UCD Smurfit School and Professor Mary Horgan, who is president of the Royal College of Physicians in Ireland. So what we're trying to do, Emmet, um, in this conference is we are bringing the leaders in Ireland from each of the sectors of our society and economy together to reflect on the impact that the pandemic has had on the various different sectors and also then um, to think about and to reflect on um, what is our road to recovery um, and how are we going to look to the future.
So for example, we have uh, panel members who are leaders in our healthcare sector. We have leaders from our business community. And we're also including leaders from our sports and arts and culture, as well as NGOs and the charity sector. So in addition to that, we are also going to be linking in, we're not just looking nationally, but we're also linking in with some Irish leaders, our diaspora. So for example, we're going to be tuning in to New York, um, where we have Mike Dowling, who is um, a Clare man, and he is CEO of a, the largest healthcare provider in New York State and um, he's going to talk about um, what they have learned during the pandemic and in fact Mike has recently published a book on the lessons um, in leadership that they have learned in managing uh, the pandemic in New York. We're also going to be tuning in um, to um, another alum of UCD and um, a UCD alumni awardee Dr Patricia Scanlon in Tanzania and Patricia is a paediatric uh, oncologist in the healthcare sector in, in Tanzania and she's going to share with us how uh, the government in Tanzania has responded to the pandemic and how that's had an impact on the healthcare that she provides uh, to children uh, with cancer. So it's very much a transsectoral, uh, cross-sectoral uh, conference um, where we're going to explore the impact on each of the sectors and leadership in each of those sectors and, and explore um, how we're going to move forward. So at the end of the conference, um, we have Dr. Larry O'Connell, who is the director and CEO of the National Economic and Social Council. And, and Larry is going to synthesize for us the key themes and public policy implications of all that will have been discussed in the morning. Uh, so it's a very exciting conference. We have a fantastic lineup of speakers, um, Emmet, and, and we're actually open for registration now. Um, so if any of our listeners want to find out more information about the conference and indeed if they want to register they can look at smurfit.ie forward slash events. Great Geraldine it sounds like that kind of interdisciplinary approach is exactly what we need because we're not going to conquer this from one particular field or one area so I think you really have put together a conference that is very commendable in bringing all those different subject matter experts together in one place and at one particular day so well done on that and we're looking forward to taking part thank you very much and, and the best of luck with it too. Thank you Emmett it's been a pleasure.